0: Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Kirk Sexton, with Pastor Bruce Johnson. We are continuing our discussion on the Ten Commandments. Today is Episode 3, God's Name. The Third Commandment focuses on showing respect. It addresses the way we communicate our feelings about God to others and to Him. It encompasses our attitudes, speech, and behavior. Welcome to Episode 3. We're calling this The Name of God.
1: God does have a name.
0: And uh, we heard about it in our worship on Sunday, uh, looking closely at the Third Commandment, and I learned it, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. My father uh, mentioned that to me often.
1: Time and time again, perhaps.
0: Yeah, probably because I had this expression, as many youth do, oh my God, you know, and I just couldn't understand, as a youth, why would that be taking the Lord's name in vain?
1: I had the experience a couple days ago when uh, Lori, my wife, told me something that was totally surprising and a bit concerning, and without thinking, I said, my God. Right. And then afterwards I thought and said to Lori, I hope that was a prayer. (laughs) <laughs> I well, think it was
0: It's so easy to be, you know, fall into that idea of, um, especially like that, in a, in a surprise utterance, you go you know, almost gasping, oh my God, or my God, or, and,
1: and um, you're right, every word we speak ends up being a prayer And Pastor Steve mentioned that in his sermon this past Sunday, uh, mentioned particularly when we use the name of God along with damn, and saying that also is a prayer that's asking God to curse somebody. So we really need to be careful about our words. And the text of the Third Commandment, and it's the same both in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, talks about how important this is to God. It reads like this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name.
0: And what translation is that?
1: Uh, I took that out of the New International Version, which is usually what I read Mm. when I sit down to read my Bible. Mm -hmm.
0: And my old ESV, which is not that old, um, still has, uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You'll, it says uh, verse uh, seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So the old King, King James English is uh, sort of maintained here. I do like
1: the misuse.
0: I like that language.
1: Right. And also, when I think about the third commandment, I also think of the New Testament verses about how great the name of Jesus Christ is. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So again, this emphasis on the name, the name being important. And Pastor Steve mentioned that, uh, biblically speaking, in in the minds of the biblical people, a name is associated very much with one's character. Hmm. Uh, So to misuse the name of God, or misuse the name Jesus, we are uh, disparaging God's character with the character of our Lord and Savior. So very important to God.
0: It reminded me this week of the, and I said to Pastor Steve, we should have had this in worship, that old uh, Gaither song, There's Something About That Name, or is that is that the title? I,
1: it, there's Something About That Name. In fact, I was thinking about that as Pastor Steve was uh, reading the text and also preaching in his sermon.
0: There's a great video on uh, online that I watched recently, and and it was very worshipful, um, and uh, it was done obviously by the hairstyles quite a few years ago, but it was uh, it was beautifully done. And then one of the I might have been one of the Gaithers that sort of goes on to tell stories about the power of God's name in the life of you know people that she experienced and. It was, it, it's
1: pretty neat. You should check it out. I'll do that. Now, speaking of stories, I have a story to share. I shared this at the 11 o'clock service on Sunday, but not everybody heard it. And that is the Dirty Fish Story. The Dirty Fish Story. I missed it. Well, my three brothers and I, when we were growing up in rural America in the late 1950s, early 1960s, we did not know any curse words. So the worst thing we knew to call one another... Was dirty fish. You know, we didn't have any other words to use, so we said dirty fish. It's just not just the words, but how you use that, you dirty fish. <laughs> so one day, my brother Eric called our mom a dirty fish, oh. and that would not do. No. So mom told Eric, you just wait till when your dad comes home, he'll wash your mouth out with soap.
0: Ooh.
1: So Eric was very worried, and of course, dad came home, and he, took him to the bathroom, and he washed his mouth out with soap. Then he looked at Eric and said, Young man, what do you have to say for yourself? And Eric said, You're a dirty fish too. Oh, no. And he got his mouth washed out with soap a second time. Wow. So words are important. Yes. And uh, that's uh, something that we learned as kids through that experience, my poor brother Eric. He always defends himself as saying, gosh, what did Dad expect me to say after that? (laughs) Wow. But the third commandment is about the importance of words and the importance of God's name and the the significance of being careful with our words.
0: I liked how Pastor Steve talked about not dragging it through the mud. That was a good illustration for me.
1: It really was. So we'll talk today in our episode about the name of God in the Old Testament, uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, the name of God that is above every name, the name of Jesus, Mm. the wrong uses of God's name, which Pastor Steve did a great job, I thought, in his sermon, and then the right uses of God's name and how we can live out the third commandment. Well, you
0: and I were on the same page because I I immediately went to my seminary training, and looked up um, tetragrammaton, uh, or tetra... Yeah, that's tetragrammaton. right. Tetragrammaton. Gammaton? Grammaton. Tet- Grammaton, yeah. Tetragrammaton, yeah. that's right. And uh, and what is a tetragrammaton? Well, it was um, these four letters that would be said instead of God's name. Like some Jewish people, instead of saying God's name, would say... I Right. And um,
1: tetragrammaton literally means 10 words, and it's really 10 letters, 10, or excuse me, not 10 letters, four letters, mm-hmm. tetra, tetragrammaton, four letters. And those four letters are the letters of God's personal name in Hebrew that sometimes is uh, pronounced Yahweh. We're not exactly sure how it was pronounced.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you see that parts of that name of God, that personal name, in other Hebrew names. Like any Hebrew name that ends in I-A-H, like Isaiah or Jeremiah, that I-A-H at the end is part of that personal name of God, that tetragrammaton. Mm. Also, in the name given to our Lord and Savior Jesus, it's Yeshua, and that Yah at the beginning is also part of that personal name of God. And when you see that in the Bible, you know that you're looking at that, or a translation of that Hebrew four letter personal name of God, because it's in all capital letters, Lord. In fact, I brought this mug that I was given this Christmas by one of our daughters. And it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, which is the high priestly blessing from the book of Leviticus. And on the mug, just as in our Bibles, every time it says Lord, it's in all capital letters. Again, an indication that that is the personal name of God, the Tetragrammaton, and you mentioned, Kirk, that observant Jews, they come across those four letters, they don't say it out loud like Yahweh, but they'll say either Adonai, which is Hebrew for my Lord, or in, Casual conversation, they'll say Hashem, which means the name. Mm.
0: That would have been a good title, too.
1: That's right, the The name. name. (laughs) (laughs) So, how did Yahweh become Jehovah in the King James Bible, you may ask? How did it happen, Bruce? Well, it was through the German uh, and the Y H W H, that's how we would transliterate the Yod He Vav He of uh, the Hebrew. alphabet alphabet, into uh, the letters that we use in our alphabet. Well, in German, instead of Y-H-W-H, it became Mm. J-H-V-H, just like Volkswagen is is, uh, Volkswagen in German. So from that, they took those four letters, and that became Jehovah. Mm. And that's how it made its way in the King James Bible and into a number of our hymns. Guide us, O thou great Jehovah, for instance. Now, Hebrew has no J sound, which makes it very tough for somebody named Johnson, like me. So when I lived in Israel and had to sign my name, you had to figure out, well, how do you get it so people know it's a J sound? So you use the uh, Hebrew letter that is the G sound, the gimel, and then after that, you put a single apostrophe. And then uh, native Hebrew speakers will know that I am Johnson and not Gunson,
0: yeah, 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 interesting, yeah well, you know, I was looking at the back in Genesis uh, God's people, you know they his name there is the same way, um, Yahweh, yes, but they did they call upon the Lord in the same way that's the question
1: yeah, you have this interesting uh passage in Exodus chapter 6. Now, the name of God, the Lord, uh, Yahweh, appears somewhat north of 6,000 times in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. It appears in every Old Testament book except Esther, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So that means it occurs in Genesis. But you get to Exodus chapter 6, where we read in verses two and three, God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, in Hebrew, El Shaddai. Mm. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And that's kind of puzzling, isn't it? How could God possibly say, did not uh, make myself known to them by Yahweh, when you have that Word the tetragrammaton used again and again in the Book of Genesis. Hmm. So, Kirk, we've been talking about that. So, what's the solution to that? Well, I
0: don't know that I have the solution, <laughs> um, but I think um, in this in this verse where we're we're talking about Exodus six, uh, if you look at verses six uh, two through six eight, you'll find uh, four times in these eight verses, one hears the claim, I am Yahweh, or I am the Lord. Um, And I think he's trying to share a new revelation of what his name
1: means to the people in Exodus. Right. Uh, The question that Moses was putting to God was, well, why are they going to listen to me, all these children of Israel that are slaves in Egypt? When I say, hey, God cares about you, God is going to redeem you out of slavery, God's gonna bring you freedom, why on earth would they listen to me? Mm. And then God gives us revelation, this is who I am. And I want you to understand something very particular about my name, Yahweh, my personal name, so that you will tie that personal name, my personal name, to what you're about to experience in my deliverance. Mm. In, in his redemption, too. Right. Redemption, uh, salvation, deliverance. So, so his name is taking on far more meaning than being a deity. Right. It, it becomes a God who's concerned about us personally, not a God who is distant. Hmm. But a God who becomes involved in our life and brings us redemption, brings us salvation, gets us out of trouble.
0: Yeah. Verse 7 says, You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you
1: from the burdens of the Egyptians. And of course, in the introduction to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, we hear, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So this repetition of tying the personal name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, to uh, the God who acts in redemption for us, the God who saves us. Well Kirk, our people still Asking questions about archaeology? Oh yes, archaeology uh, is—it's—it's
0: on everyone's lips at Mountain View now.
1: (laughs) So I want to bring you two examples from archaeology that both have the name of God that are from discoveries that that go back to the biblical period. One is an example of the name of God used in a profane way, Mm. and the other is an example of the name of God used in a good way. So the profane way comes from an archeological site called Kintelet-Ajrud, and in Kintilit ajrud which was occupied in the 9th century BC, and not for a long time, only about a, 100 years or so in the Iron Age II period, we found two potsherds in which there were inscriptions. You know, uh, we used notepaper. Uh, back in the day, they didn't have a lot of note paper, but they had a lot of potsherds. So on these potsherds, sometimes you would write notes and whatnot. Hmm. And on these potsherds, there was an inscription to Yahweh of Samaria and his Asherah, that is his female consort deity. Hmm. And another uh, inscription, Yahweh of Timon and his Asherah, his female consort deity. That is, they began worshiping not only God, but God and his wife, God and his female consort deity. And that would be an example f- uh, from the perspective of the Old Testament prophets of using God's name in the vein. It's, it's, it's mixing the true God with other uh, pagan practices of that day and age. Do we believe that these are Hebrew people that wrote these? Yes, it seems to be Hebrew people that would make pilgrimages to the site, uh, people in the kingdom of Judah. So uh, mm. uh, when the Old Testament prophets talk about how bad idolatry is, another indication that they really had a problem with that. So that's an example from archaeology of the use of God in a bad way, a profane way. We also have another site, uh, a site where I was involved in the archaeological dig at Kenteft Hinnom in Jerusalem. And in these burial chambers that were used during the Old Testament period, uh, going back beginning in the 8th century to even the Persian period, uh, uh, in these burials, we found one Intact burial chamber, a little receptacle, and in that we found two silver amulet scrolls. And these scrolls, each of them had the same verse from Leviticus on them. Two different versions of it, and that verse was: "The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace." Uh, the quotation, as we talked about before, uh, the high, high priestly. Uh, Blessing found not in Leviticus, but in uh, Numbers chapter 6. So that is an example of the right use of God's name uh, and something that a particular family wanted to remember and hold dear. uh, Something like something they would carry around on a necklace uh, of a loved one. A blessing. A blessing, exactly. Hmm.
0: Well, in Steve's sermon, he had um, given us some. uses for God's name, um, ways that it could be used in both profane and good ways. Um, what what did you listen to and what did you hear um, in the area, the profane ways?
1: Well, we talked about four improper uses of God's name. First would be using it in a profane way, like as a cursing, where it becomes a prayer, asking God to curse somebody. Uh, that would be a wrong use of God's name.
0: Very common.
1: Very common. Second is when we use it to our advantage, when we say, you know, God is just on our side, when we use God's name or invoke God's name to support our own particular ideas or philosophies or whatnot, not trying to have God rule over us, but, hey, this would be handy. This is another uh, way that I can persuade others to believe what I want them to believe. Uh, I'll, bring God into the argument.
0: Right. Pastor Steve, if you remember, used the belt buckle of German soldiers, and I actually Googled and looked this up, and uh, they're, you can find them on eBay. Uh, they're quite prevalent, actually.
1: Yes. Uh, um, my father brought one of those home from World War II, and I think my brother Mark has that now.
0: It says Gott mit uns, uh, which is God... Essentially, is it says God with
1: us. God with us, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of creepy Yeah, <laughs> thinking about that.
0: Right. And then um, he talked about Hitler um, making the claim that he is, you know, that God is on his side. Um, and so, yeah, it's taking advantage of, uh, of God's name to attach it to our, our movements or what we believe to be God's cause when it really isn't.
1: Saying uh, God is with us, but maybe we're not with God. That that becomes the problem.
0: Yeah, you may, it gives us caution, um, even in our own dealings or as leaders, to say, "Well, we're we're certain, or we're certain that God is with us on this." And I think one thing Presbyterians do well is to have more than one person say what is uh, we believe. What is the will of God?
1: Right. There's wisdom in a community of people. In a collective,
0: in us, you know, in our, we're we're kind of mocked for it, but that's the use of committees and uh, task force and making sure that we have the Holy Spirit's voice in more than just one person.
1: In the best sense, it's uh, trying to act with humility Mm -hmm. when we try to follow God. Now, the third wrong use of God's name that Steve talked about was when we trivialize it, mm. when we take it in vain, or it doesn't matter. Right. Sometimes that's done through repetitions.
0: Yeah, or or prayers that are said and wrote. You know, I think even the sometimes we say the Lord's Prayer maybe and we don't even think about the words we're saying. But we start out right away with, Hallowed be thy name, you know.
1: When I eat breakfast in the morning, I'm in the custom of, you know, praying before I eat a meal. And uh, I've got into that habit because of my parents and grandparents. They always did that. So Mm -hmm. I continue to follow that practice, and I think that's a good practice. But first thing in the morning, you know, I might have different things on my mind, and I catch myself beginning a prayer, and then I stop because I haven't really thought through what I'm saying. I'm just going by rote, and then I have to pause and start the prayer over and really think about God and direct my thoughts to God and with gratitude for what I'm about to eat.
0: Well, and it's easy as a pastor to have your professional words and your professional prayers and you know do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, we have It's a... easy to like pastor would you pray with us and then you just you know, it's sort of a a rote prayer instead of one that um is from the heart and about that moment and that time and those people that are gathered and, and really, really calling on the name of the Lord as a prayer
1: instead of some professional duty. So you may notice sometimes when one of the pastors of our church are asked to pray, sometimes we pause a little mm. before we begin the prayer, and that's what's going on. We're trying to make sure that we're not doing something just wrote, just uh, empty words, but we're really um, directing all our thoughts to God, really taking it uh, uh, seriously, not somberly, but seriously.
0: Yeah. Pastor Steve talked about other ways we tribalize God's name by the T-shirts. Uh, one of them he had was pretty interesting. Um, what was it? This blood's for you. Was, uh, yes. I hadn't seen anything like that. That one was a little shocking to
1: me. I'm not wearing that on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> not happening.
0: No. But there's all these uh, things you see on T-shirts and cups and, and really can make light of uh, the Lord's name. So just to
1: be cautious about those things. I think of the Pepe Le Pew cartoons where he would always say Sacre bleu, which is sacred blood. Mm. So, again, that's uh, trivializing not the name of God, but the things that are of God, things that are holy. See, I never even knew what he was saying before. Well, there you go. I'm I'm learning so much on this podcast. Every podcast is something (laughs) new. And the fourth misuse of God's name that Pastor Steve talked about was through our hypocrisy. When we say one thing but do another, Mm. and uh, people can... see right away that our faith is not very deep. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that was uh, convicting too, to think of us really being representatives of God's name. So again, as an arching principle, you shall have this reverence for God's name, but you as a representative have to act in such a way, in such a manner, that the reverence of God's name is seen in you and in your actions.
1: Right. Which leads us right into the right use of God's name. Yes. You know, we want to talk the talk in a right way. We want the right use of God's name. But we also want to walk the walk. Mm. We want to have that consistency. Yes. And something I found interesting, when you get into the Reformed tradition talking about right uses of God's name, they'll talk about, well, do you use God's name when you take an oath like if you are sworn in uh, in certain legal procedures, sometimes you put your hand on the Bible. Mm-hmm. Is that a right use of God's name or the things that belong to God, You know, things that are holy, God's word? And the reformed tradition says, yes, uh, that can be a right use of God's name when you are showing reverence to God's name by saying, uh, let my yes be yes and my no be no.
0: Yes. Uh- as long as you don't perjure yourself. Yes, right? that I mean, that
1: would be a misuse. So uh, in my God's life name.
0: group, my we have a lawyer in there and he was speaking strongly about how many people take that oath and then lie on the stand.
1: Oh gosh, that's that's discouraging to hear about. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just get, making it real. Uh oh. Well, we talk quite a bit about, um, and we've talked quite a bit about uh, a text that you read in seminary that was helpful as you thought about the Ten Commandments, and you've brought that today.
0: Yes, uh, my, um, most of my teaching concerning the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue is out of my Christian ethics course taught by uh, Dr. David Gill, and uh, he wrote a book called Doing Right, practicing ethical principles. And you know, we, we talked about this being this use of God's name as an area principle, but one of the things um, that he brought to light is that the third com- commandment benefits uh, my neighbor. So we've talked about how it benefits us, and it, but it also has benefits for the larger community. All of these have implications like that. So, if I treat God respectfully, then um, I'm likely to have respect for my neighbor and if the and if as I get closer to God and it's always good for my neighbor, um, if I pray for him, my neighbor in Jesus' name, that's also good for my neighbor right but we he goes on to talk a little bit about how um We all, names are important, not just God's name, but Bruce's name, Kirk's name. Our names are important. And so, as an ethic, maybe to take this a step further, is our treatment of others is honoring and respecting their name as well. Right. So, you know, remembering people's names, you know, when you're in conversation using their name, saying it uh, correctly. Sometimes I'm not great at that. Um, sometimes I'm not great at n- remembering names, but to say, I'm sorry, what is your name again? And then using that in a sentence and you know, uh, to, to give honor and respect to the person I'm talking to.
1: And we've all had that experience when somebody we haven't seen for a while and perhaps we don't know well, remembers our name. Yes. And, uh, you know, it feels good.
0: Sure it does. And it happens to us here in as pastors in the church. We have many opportunities to forget people's names and or, um, well, there's just a lot of people to remember <laughs> around here, right? Right. And you've experienced that uh, in
1: this last year or so. I certainly have. Yeah. And I admire my wife, Lori, very much because she's very good at remembering names and details about um, people, you know, what's going on in their lives. And uh, I've seen her do that again and again. It's just uh, remarkable. She really has a knack for that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think it's probably, you know, she's, she's a professional. She's probably worked at it. And it's a good, she's a good model for us to work at remembering people's names too. Absolutely. There's a gentleman in our church who's really, really good at it. I won't mention his name, but he, I've watched him because I've admired how he remembers people's names and the way he does it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's because he attaches stories to their names. Oh, okay. And then he, he, he goes, that's right, Kirk. You did this, and you did that, and you went to that school. And, you know, that's, he gets a little narrative about each person he meets. Wow. It's, pretty a, good, it's a good technique.
1: Now, Kirk, a little while ago, you were talking about um, the Third Commandment being a principle and other things falling underneath that. And that reminded me of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Yes. So we've talked before about the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a question-answer format that was designed for the instruction of children. That's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Mm -hmm. But there's also the Westminster Larger Catechism, which was written for... Uh, adults to learn more about um, the Bible and about uh, theology and, and what is truly said about God. You'd think it'd be the shorter catechism and the longer catechism, but it's the shorter catechism and the larger catechism. Right. Something was going on in Scotland. I don't understand it, but that's the way they named those. So in the larger catechism, uh, you have the question, what is required in the third commandment? And the answer is the third commandment requires that the name of God His titles, attributes, ordinances, the Word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, His works, and whatever else there is whereby He makes Himself known, be holy and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing, by a holy profession and answerable conversation to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others.
0: That's very complete, isn't it?
1: Yes. And I like that. I'm very impressed when it talks about what sins are forbidden by the third commandment, Mm. because it's very expansive and gets us thinking about all sorts of ways that we need to be careful with our words, not in fear, but in the joy of celebrating God's name and keeping it holy and special. So it says, uh, the things that are forbidden and the third commandment are, the not using of God's name as is required, and the abuse of it in an ignorant, vain, irreverent, profane, superstitious, or wicked mentioning or otherwise using the titles, attributes, ordinances, or works by blasphemy, perjury, which we talked about before, all sinful cursing, oaths, vows, and lots, violating our oaths and vows, If lawful and fulfilling them, if of all things unlawful, murmuring and quarreling at, curious prying into, and misapplying God's decrees and providence, misinterpreting, misapplying, or in any way perverting the word or any part of it to profane jests, curious and unprofitable questions, vain grumblings, or the maintaining of false doctrines abusing it, the creatures or anything contained under the name of God, to charms or sinful lusts and practices, the maligning, scorning, reviling, or any way opposing of God's truth, grace, and ways, making profession of religion in hypocrisy, or for sinister ends, being ashamed of it or ashamed to it by uncomfortable, unwise, and fruitful and offensive walking or backsliding from it. That's, that's very complete as well, isn't it? It is. And it's really saying, let's take this seriously. Let's, let's not find loopholes. Uh, it, it's so complete. It's like, let's cover all the loopholes that might come into our minds when we are not at our best. It says, let's, let's avoid all of that. Let's try to take this seriously. Let's try to honor God's name intentionally. We've also been lifting up not just the documents from the eco-confessional standards, but the um, eco-constitution, those um, essential tenets we have. Mm -hmm. And in the end of the essential tenets of eco, when it talks about how we are to fulfill the words of the third commandment, It says, eliminate from both speech and thought any blasphemy, irreverence, or impurity. So a a one-sentence short summary of what we see in those uh, other larger documents. Now, each podcast, we've also been lifting up the Heidelberg Catechism, also in a question-and-answer format. And here, the Heidelberg Catechism gets into, as they do with each commandment, what's required in the commandment and uh, how we live that out. So it asks, what is required in the third commandment? We must not abuse the name of God or make it common by cursing, by swearing falsely, or by unnecessary oaths. Nor we should participate in such horrible sins by keeping quiet and thus giving silent consent. That is, if somebody is uh, cursing God's name and we do nothing, well, that's, that's bad too. Mm. We must not use the holy name of God except with fear and reverence so that he may be rightly confessed and addressed by us and be glorified in all our words and works." And the Heidelberg Catechism gets into the what do you do about uh, oaths that you take in a legal uh, situation. Uh, Must we not swear oaths by the name of God in a devout manner? Or may we not swear oaths by the name of God in a devout manner? And the answer is yes, when the civil authorities require it of their subjects or when it is otherwise needed to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the welfare of our neighbors. Such oath-taking is grounded in God's Word and has therefore been rightly used by God's people under the Old and New Covenants, that is, in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament times and later. So good, helpful, practical guidance. I did look at some of the
0: um, oaths in the Old Testament. There, there were many, even in the New Testament, Yes, um, even by Paul and, and Jesus. Um, so if done right um, and not falsely, um, it seems to be okay.
1: And um, a verse from the New Testament that I always think of when I think about uh, trying to be careful with my speech. Comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen.
0: Now, we have been using, uh, or we have in our podcasts in the past, we've had featured a quote from C.S. Lewis. Certainly, C.S. Lewis wouldn't have anything to say about God's name, would he?
1: Well, I think so, and and Lewis has this great passage in one of his children's books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where these four English school children first hear the name Aslan, which is the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. And this is what happens to them when they first hear Aslan, and they're in the house of two talking beavers. It's a great scene. (laughs) Yes, and I think it's Mr. Beaver that says, They say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps has already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream. That someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it had some enormous meaning, either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put in words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. And that sense of holiness and awe uh, uh, of something that uh, is to be set apart in the name, I think that really is Lewis's way of saying, that's how the name of God should affect us.
0: Neat. I love that. That's great. Is that before they uh, have the conversation about whether he is safe? Is this
1: the preceding? It's it's the same conversation, a long conversation between them. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and yeah, the four children. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Now, another feature we've been having is not only a C.S. Lewis quote, but a quote from our Reform heritage.
0: And I had to go back to the Calvin well. Yes. Again. Um,
1: Little Johnny Calvin.
0: Yeah, John Calvin. Um, came. Um, this comes from, um, I think it's... Chapter 2, uh, verse 8, and um, he says, um, let's see
1: here, yeah, uh, 2.8.22, if you want to look it up. This is from Calvin's Institute. Calvin's
0: nice. Institutes. Right. He says, we must laud every action which we attribute to him as wise and just and good. This is to sanctify the name of God. When we act otherwise, his name is profaned with vain and wicked abuse because it is applied to a purpose foreign to that to which it is consecrated.
1: Words matter. Yes. And the word of God matters most of all. Hmm. A word, God's name, God's personal name. Yeah. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, his name. There's something about that. Name. There is something about that name. Yes.
0: Well, do you have a prayer that would uh, not bring us shame and profane the Lord that you could bring to us?
1: I hope so. <laughs> Let's pray. Great God, you whose name is holy and right and true, you who are the God of redemption, and you who have redeemed us by your Son, our Savior Jesus. We worship you and glorify you. And we long to follow you better day by day. Lord, help us to keep your name holy in our hearts, in our speech, in our minds, and in our imaginations. And Lord, help us to live out your life, the life that you call us to live as followers of Christ in whose name we pray this. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Kirk.